Hello, podcast world. It's the FNO boys. That was your cue, Lee. You missed your cue. <laughs> well, I com- that was a completely different way to start the podcast. It just well, threw for a loop. Lee, I need, you to, I need you to be with the program here. Hi, everybody. <laughs> That's much better. <laughs> Welcome to FNO InsureTech. We have, uh, we're, t- we're turning a little, not turning a corner, we're, um, we have on a different kind of guest today, and that's really cool. Who's that, Lee? We have Rob Gilbreth on today. Uh, he has written, uh, recently written and published a book uh, that really talks about everything that we talk about, and it's, uh, it's about insurance and where it's been and where it's going. A lot of, a lot of great things. Correct. Rob Galbraith, the author of The End of Insurance as We Know It, How Millennials, InsureTech, and Venture Capital Will Disrupt the Ecosystem, is joining us today. And Rob is the real first real just categorical uh, thought leader that, that we've had on the show. And so um, we invite you to get ready to hear a lot of uh, detailed um, information about the InsureTech world, about how it's relating back and forth with the carrier world, and what it all means and where it's all going. It's a really, he's a, he's a fascinating guy, and um, uh, l- literally wrote a book. Yeah, he literally wrote a book on the subject. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I'm interested. He gets to talk at a lot of events. I'm kind of interested in you know, what does he like out there? What events are good for us to go to if we're trying to learn more about uh, the insurance world? And uh, I think his book talks to that too. So if you're yeah. a startup and, and you're interested in learning more about insurance and how you can uh, be uh, you know, better at marketing to insurance, right. his book talks it's on a, that. It, agreed. It's an important read. I suggest you get it. You can buy it on Amazon and we'll talk more about that during the episode. But uh, so without further ado... Let's get right into our interview with Rob Galbraith, the author of The End of Insurance as We Know It. Hey, podcast world. We have a author with us today and a thought leader, which is uh, kind of a new category for us to explore, and we're pretty excited about that. We have Rob Galbraith, who recently wrote and published The End of Insurance as We Know It, and... um, we're thrilled to have you on the show. Welcome to FNO InsureTech. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, where do we find you today? What what point of the world? I happen to be in Fort Lauderdale, Florida today. So can you tell us what conference you're at or where, where you're speaking? Yeah, so I happen to be at the National League of Cities. Uh, they have wow. a information sharing consortium. And uh, so they self-insure. These are the kind of municipalities, sure. a whole host of different risks, uh, most of which I certainly don't understand. Uh, right. I can appreciate how challenging they are. And so they're really um, very interested in this insure tech world. And so my keynote is really about some of the key technologies, AI, blockchain, you name it, the ones that we've all heard about. And then uh, I will be one of a few panelists right after my keynote kind of talking about it. And so I'm looking to um, the experts that are here really to try to um, take the applications of, of what I talk about with these technologies and, and how uh, they're able to leverage it in their world. That must be a really interesting thing about writing a book is you hear, you hear from people that you might have never thought would reach out to you about you know your book or, or speaking. It, it, I would think that this might be an example of that. It is. And, and just, um, you know, our connected world, the, the whole six degrees of Kevin Bacon type uh, situation is uh, definitely in full effect. I got connected with this group because uh, one of the um, leaders is the father-in-law to a buddy of mine that uh, used to have a sales relationship and kind of build into a, a, a friendship over the course of the last two or three years. So definitely kind of a weird there you go. connection and it all worked out. And here I am in sunny Fort Lauderdale. Well, maybe someday you'll be there to retire. <laughs> maybe. maybe. Maybe one day. Maybe one day. Well, let's jump into some more uh, serious, fascinating conversation about insurance and um, uh, 
I mean, I'm sure you've done many interviews about your book. I have your book and it's, it's, it's remarkably interesting. So what, what motivated you? What, what, why, why does this exist? What, what did you have a moment where you thought, you know what, I should write a book? Um, I did sort of. Yeah. Um, so, uh, just a little background about me. I, um, please have been in the industry for uh, just over 20 years. Um, I was born and raised in Michigan, um, and went to Michigan state, go green, go white. And, uh, I was an econ major. So, um, after college, I uh, graduated and, um, worked at the federal reserve in Washington. Wow. Just a dream job, you know? Wow. Kind of yeah. So um, then I moved to uh, San Antonio, Texas, where I currently reside um, for, a, for a girl. My college sweetheart went to uh, law school uh, in San Antonio. And so it kind of worked. It kind of didn't. We got married and uh, we have a son together. We got divorced. I'm remarried. Life moves on. We're still good. Um, oh, but, good. Uh, happily married. To, um, we'll be actually 10 years, a little bit, uh, a couple months from now. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, so I've got three kids. Uh, just Oldest just turned 18. You can believe it, 14 and nine. And um, so when I moved to San Antonio, a buddy of mine at the Federal Reserve said uh, he was an Air Force brat. And so I'd moved around, spent his high school years in San Antonio and also went to Trinity University at San Antonio. And he said, Rob, whatever you can do, you know, you need to get on with USA. They're just an outstanding company that ensures military members and their families. Right. So I did, uh, fortunately, and um, uh, kind of bounced around early in my career. I actually started in the HR department, uh, working, uh, kind of had some programming skills. I think you it was data science before you called it data science, really. Um, and But I really wanted to know how we made money, like just that business mind. And so I uh, moved to the finance area for a time, supporting the loss reserving actuaries. Then I moved to the pricing actuary side, and that was a lot more exciting. And rather than, you know, how much money are we going to lose? It's a, ooh, you know, uh, what should we charge? Right. <laughs> so, uh, 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 just kind of an interesting dichotomy between the two groups of actuaries. And uh, I am sad to say I'm a failed actuary. I was 0 for 5 on my actuary exam. So that uh, seemed like an exciting career. It's path. hard. It's very hard. You kind of need to know math and be really good at math. Yeah, yeah. You can't skip the math part. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you know, uh, there was a time where uh, I thought I was pretty good at math. And then in college, I think it was the third semester of calculus when they started talking about, well, you got a point here and a point here, and then this point's coming out of the wall at you. And I was like, okay, you lost me now. Like, so yeah, that should have been my fine. Uh, but I, I did decide to beat my head against the wall for an extended period of time before I actually had the very good fortune of having a uh, leader at USA um, with the analytics team in the underwriting department. And this was 2005. And so that was a pretty new thing at the time. And so he said, Rob, you've already got your CPCU. Um, you don't need to take any more exams to be an underwriter. You should come over to our, our side and help us build this thing. And uh, best career move that I, I could have made. So I spent the next 14 years of my career in underwriting and in various positions. Cool. Um, and so ultimately the last five or six years was um, really leading a team that was focused on managing risk in catastrophic uh, or catastrophe-prone areas. So uh, at USA, they really had two goals. One was to serve as many military members as their families as possible. And the other goal is to be the last company standing, be very strong, have AAA ratings from AMS, S&P, you name it, right? Just um, very conservative, um, underlying philosophy, financial strength. And so obviously those two things are uh, at Opposing odds, and so trying to thread the needle was really our job, and it was an exciting job. Uh, we really enjoyed um, kind of embrace the challenge, and so you know what you start realizing in that role is um, some of the initial kind of underwriting restrictions that we would have, like you know we're not going to write any property that's say a thousand feet from the coast. That that's a very blunt instrument. That's kind of a, a not very sophisticated way to view the risk. Right. And, when you come across policies and you say, well, this guy's right on the, the coast. He's like 50 feet, but he's on a cliff that's 100 feet high. Like, well, that's a very different <laughs> risk than somebody that's 500 feet inland, but you know, the water's lapping up to his front door at high tide. And so, you know, as you kind of peel back the onion and you try to learn more and more about each exposure and going on you know, claims ride-alongs and talking to meteorologists and social scientists and uh, building engineers, working with the Insurance Institute for Business and Home Safety in their research lab where they're blowing, you know, houses over in, in South Carolina. 
um, you start to really gain a, a true appreciation for what I call the pathology of claims. And, you know, I use that term because in, in medicine, um, there's this whole idea of like kind of what causes a disease, what causes symptoms, rather than just the symptoms itself, right? And trying to cure your, you know, you've got a headache, you take some Tylenol, right? But what's causing that headache and trying to understand that. Uh, so in insurance, you know, oftentimes we look at things that are correlated with risk, right? The size of your home, how old is it? When was the last time you replaced your roof? Things like that. And those things certainly matter. But, um, you know, when you go on a claims ride along, I was here in Florida uh, after Hurricane Irma, and I distinctly remember um, a, a woman that was uh, had uh, six kids in her family. So she was married. She had six kids. They had two children of their own, and they had adopted four kids. And so they had converted their garage into a, a, a kitchen in a dining area for their extended family. And so they had like a brother-in-law, somebody kind of do the extension and had put in a big picture frame window. And so uh, that window had not been built by the original builder. It had been retrofitted in. And so the caulking wasn't very good. And so the hurricane had hit and it was a cat one. It was at that time in, in, in Florida at that right. uh, period where it was kind of between Tampa and Orlando and it passed right, right over them. And so she told this tale of these kids, like everyone's got towels and they're mopping up all this water that's coming in the window. And you start to realize like, okay, the loss is because of the hurricane, but even if you just had a bad rainstorm, you would have had the same thing happen. And it really wasn't so much the hurricane as much as the home. And it wasn't so much the home, but the brother-in-law did kind of a, you know, not a great job. Substandard. On yeah. So then you start realizing like, you know, these risks are really nuanced. They're really layered. And, and so, you know, like her roof, like the brother-in-law had re-roofed. So they had a metal roof, but it was just put on top of the asphalt shingles. They didn't like rip the shingles off and put the metal on. And so it was just a weird wonky roof. Right. And so from a, from a underwriting standpoint, you want to know all these things if you, if you can. And, and with technology today, you, you can actually start to really get at some of that stuff. So you could tell that, hey, this used to have a garage door. Now it has a window and this roof used to be asphalt shingles and now it's metal and I can still see some asphalt hooking up from underneath. So with the use of aerial imagery and, and, and AI and machine learning, you know, you can kind of pick up all these nuances today in a way that just wasn't possible before. I mean, before you'd have to spend a lot of money, have somebody go out. Field inspection. Right. Yeah. And so I, I just had this experience more and more kind of in that quest to, to, you know, do a better job underwriting in cat prone areas that I kept coming across these, these data and technology companies. And I just felt like I was getting a glimpse of the future. You know, it was like, you'd walk out of me like, that's the way insurance is going to be 10 years from now. I just saw it. I just got this small glimpse of the future and it was a really cool, cool feeling. And, and, and so you said, maybe I should write a book. So yeah. Or or it pushed you to, to, to dig more. You know, it was, um, so having these, these kind of, experiences and I, I kept having them over and over where it's like, wow, oh, that's cool. And that's cool. And that's cool. And they were all swimming in my brain. And so I, I had to like get it out. I kept seeing all the news articles. I think that we all see about blockchain this yeah. and chat about that. Right. So I opened a word document and I, I literally called it brain dump. I was like, I uh-huh. just got to get all this stuff out of my head. And so uh, I just kept writing. I just, just notes. It was unorganized, just a mess. Uh-huh. Right. And when I was stream done, of consciousness, it, Exactly. Exactly. And uh, it was 25 pages long when I was done. I was like, wow. <laughs> That's a lot so, of consciousness. <laughs> it's a lot of dream of consciousness. Yeah. And then I would, it wasn't all in one sitting. I mean, mm-hmm. it started that mm-hmm. way, but then, you know, you kind of are like, okay, I'm done. And then you, you go on with your life and then you're like, oh, what about this? And I thought about that. And I kind of go keep, you know, open that doc again and, and write more. And so um, right about that time that I was kind of, you know, just trying to, make sense of this world. Um, it just so happened that, uh, some friends of mine, Tony Kanyas and Carly Burnham from the insurance nerds, who I've known for a very long time uh-huh. through, uh, BBC society, these millennials, and then, and they, they go to the same conference as I go and they're like, yeah, we're going to start our own thing. <laughs> it's just a millennial mentality, which I love. I love that about millennials. Uh-huh. And so they told the insurance nerds, they said, you know, um, the way that people get insurance education um, of young professionals needs to change, right? Coming into our industry. And so they really have targeted professionals originally, really, that were kind of zero to five years in the industry. And they started with a website, insnerds.com, and just posted articles. And the articles were like 
written by peers. You know, it wasn't necessarily this PhD or this person that had been in the industry 30 years. It was like, hey, I spent a couple years in this industry and I learned about this. I'm going to share my experience mm-hmm. and my knowledge with you. Right. And so over time, this ecosystem that they've created, it's, it's not just their website now and, and articles, but it's um, it's a, a podcast. So Profiles and Risk by Nick Lamparelli is an excellent podcast. And, and Karian Nadow uh, does some of them now as well. Uh, they've got an insurance nerdery video segment and they've published three books. Um, and the third one was mine. So they'd come down and done a meetup in San Antonio because they kind of know from their website, like where their, their readers are. Right. And so they said, Rob, will you help us organize a, a meetup in San Antonio? And so I did, and we had a great time. And, um, at that time they had, um, told me that they were going to publish a book. Um, they had written their own book, Tony and Carly had, called Insuring Tomorrow. Uh, that was all about millennials and trying to attract talent into the workforce. So that is an excellent book. I had got an advanced copy and given um, a review, which, you know, very, very positive on. And so at the meetup, they said, we're going to publish a book uh, by Bill Wilson. Well, Bill has been in the industry for 40 years. The guy is funny as all get out. He's been at a ton of CBCU conferences that I was at, but he's very, very knowledgeable as well. He really specializes with working with independent agents. And um, his book was on resolving claims disputes. And so Bill's the type of person that he could have picked anybody to be his publisher. You know, he's that well-known insurance commentary. He has a blog. Uh, Definitely go look him up. He's a great guy, a good follow. And for Bill to pick the insurance nerds for his book, that that said something right about their credibility. Right. So, brain dump over here. I was like, "Well, hey, if I made this into a book, would you guys publish it?" And I said, "Yeah, well, you know, put it into an outline, kind of give it some format, and uh, yeah, absolutely, we'd be happy to take a look and, and let you know." That's cool. So uh, that's kind of where the genesis of the book was born. That that's 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 a great story. Yeah, I've listened to several of their podcasts and enjoy it. So, uh, um, they have an interesting take on, on, uh, on the industry. Yeah. And it's fun. It's funny. Cause, um, that's actually how I kind of got into listening to podcasts was, uh, Carly asked me at an event in Chicago, Hey, we just put out this podcast. Would you listen to it and give it some feedback? I said, sure. I'd be happy to. And then of course, yeah, I didn't listen to it for four months, right? <laughs> but I was taking my oldest to, uh, from Texas, we were driving to North Carolina for uh, a summer camp of three weeks at, at uh, Duke University. So then I drove back and I was just by myself in the car, you know, for, for three long days. And so I was like, yeah, let me listen to a podcast. And I, I just binged, you know, listen to like, I don't know, 12 or 14 of them right in a row. I was like, I love this thing, this podcast thing. This is awesome. And so uh, that got me hooked on listening to podcasts. Yeah, we, we, we've been having a, an enormously good time. In fact, I feel guilty sometimes that I'm having too much fun and getting paid for it. Um, but that's a whole nother conversation. Let me ask you um, some questions. First of all, I appreciate um, you also including your background in that. Um, so basically, you're a, you're you're a, you're a career insurance person. Sounds like you're more you were more on the underwriting, a little more on the underwriting side. We're 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 claims people um, in our company, and the, and that's you know kind of the perspective that we come from. And sometimes it's it's really it's great and refreshing to have on. Um, people from underwriting or actuarial sciences or some of the other departments who can help us to understand, you know, the, the whole uh, value chain even better. But um, I want to jump into a couple of the things from your book that really struck me. Um, one is uh, the arrogance of Silicon Valley. And uh, I think that that's, I, 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 I understand that Silicon Valley is a critical piece of the future of insurance. Wouldn't you agree with that? But um, but I, I I I thought that your phrasing there was good. Can you talk about that for a second? Sure. Yeah. So um, I tell a story about um, a man named Victor that ends up that's not his real name, and I I identify the wrong year in there. But anyway, the story is basically the same where he shows up. Uh, Tony Kanyas, actually from Insurance Nerds, introduced me at one of our pretty boring, pretty staid CPC conferences that I still love doing, right? Because you kind of move all your friends over the years, you build these relationships, uh-huh. right? But but it's the underwriters conference. So it's, you know, you can probably imagine <laughs> without too much difficulty what that 
what that experience is like, what that aura is like. So to have somebody from Silicon Valley there is, is definitely unusual. So introduced me to Victor. And so I'm asking Victor like, whoa, you know, why, why are you coming here to wherever it was, Indianapolis or something, right? Uh, for our conference. And he's like, um, I want to learn about your industry because, um, yeah, we are planning to come in and, you know, you'll all be out of a job next year. <laughs> so, oh, nice to meet you too, Victor. <laughs> and so I kind of relate, well, you know, here we are 2019, right? We're still right. All we here. still all have jobs. Still here. Right. And so Victor, I, I found out later, actually, after the book was written that he, he flamed uh -huh. out of whatever startup he was starting. And so I think he was trying to do something with uh, taxi cabs and, and uh, in New York City and sure or something. He, <laughs> I think he took that LinkedIn profile or something anyway. So so we're still here. So so um, a, a lot of people talked about this now as InsureTech 1.0, right? Which was yes. this whole like, hey, um, so Daniel Schreiber is the uh, founder of lemonade and everyone right. kind of knows lemonade is kind of this upstart carrier, right? Which you either love or hate. And so they're, they're great fodder for discussion. And he did a podcast and I love the way he said it, right? Cause he came from outside the insurance industry. So he said, we looked at this from an entrepreneur standpoint and we mm -hmm. have three things that we love. Number one, this industry is massive. It's measured in trillions of dollars, not billions. Yes. Correct. Number two, it's, unlocked. I saw the statistic in your book. It's like $500 billion a year just domestically or some yeah. incredible number like that. Yeah. 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 So, right. so, so a lot of people don't realize that, right. Or appreciate that. It's just how massive our industry is. And then he said, secondly, it's unloved by consumers, right? Nobody loves their insurance company. Nobody loves the product, the way it works. Nobody's super happy with their care. Now people don't switch because, you know, insurance is kind of a set it and forget it type product, right? You get it because you want to do something else. Like I'm getting my insurance because I want to drive the car off the lot, or I, I'm getting insurance because I want to close on my mortgage, or I want to start my business. So it's something you have to do in order to do something you really want to do. Um, and so once you've done that, right, you've kind of checked the box, you've moved on with your life. And so unless, you know, your, your rates go up significantly, or you have a bad claims experience, usually you stay right with your, your agent and your carrier. And so uh -huh. um, nobody loves it, but yeah, there isn't like this big incentive to switch. It's not like a, a retail where you kind of have a high volume of transactions that, you know, you get fed up with say Uber and you switch to Lyft, right? Right. And, and I think that that's, that, I think that that's such an important point in the whole uh, equation of insurance is that, I mean, how often have you been at a party or anywhere and you've had a conversation randomly with people about insurance? Unless there's a claim, I would wager to say most people would say never. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Set it and forget it. Exactly. Yeah. And um, so it's 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 not loved by consumers. So it's massive and it's unloved. And then he used this phrase, which I love. And his quote was, it is unspoiled by innovation. What a great quote. Right. And it was just that there's loads of opportunity, as we all know, that are in right. the industry, no matter where you are in, in the industry, you can point to several things right off the bat. You don't have to think very hard about, well, it should work this way, but it doesn't. Right. And we have to go through this. And there's a reason and a rationale why, but it's a pain. And so um, that's why he's just said, uh, he's just trying to blow it up, right? So he's coming in and he's like, we decided to blow up the whole thing and, and, and build our whole, whole thing in Lemonade. Now they've had their struggles, right? And I think they've learned some lessons along the way. Uh, but that was kind of InsureTech 1.0. And Lemonade is actually one of just a handful that have really been kind of successful with that model. Most mm -hmm. uh, InsureTechs really ran up to all the hard realities, right? You're talking about a legal contract. You're talking about a financial instrument. You're talking about a highly regulated industry. So th this isn't just right going around taxicab regulations and creating ride sharing. I mean, it's it's much much more complex than that. So, you know, I I, I think we're now in in what a lot of people are calling InsureTech 2.0, right? Which partnerships is the huge name of the game. So there was a survey right. I mentioned from McKinsey in the the book that. Um, when surveyed, less than 10% of startups said they actually wanted to completely disrupt the ecosystem and compete against existing companies. Over 90% want to either um, uh, kind of extend, right, or, or create new new products and services, but that play within kind of the, uh, you know, existing ecosystem or um, create some type of uh, efficiencies uh, within the current ecosystem. And so that's really the focus. Now, it'll be interesting to see um, you know, a lot of startups kind of say to me, Rob, you know, we've been trying this partnership clearing for a while and we'll spend 12, 18 months and we're in, you know, 
proof of concept purgatory or pilot hell and right. you know, we get a deal done and um you know we get all the way to the end and then we kind of left at the altar and, and so we're spending a significant time and, and money trying to partner and and there is some frustration out there um, so I do wonder if we get to an InsureTech 3.0, which is almost like a mixed modal, right? Some, I think, will have successful partnerships and we'll kind of have a better sense for what those look like over time. I don't know if there's any, you know, traditional rules of like, here's what, you know, some some common uh, things that, that we see in all successful partnerships that people are, you know, best practices that come out. Um, but I also think you'll see some compete. And I think the InsureTechs are learning about our industry as they're trying to partner. And so I think some of them, if they do decide to compete later, are going to be much more educated about the industry and what they're getting involved with than that uh, victor of InsureTech 1.0 that just, oh, yeah, I don't need to know anything about your industry or I can go to a conference and I'll know everything I need to know and, and be done. I, I think that's a, a great insight. I have a friend who's um, a carrier executive, very, very, very smart man. And he thinks that InsureTech is currently a bubble. There's way too much. There's way too many. And, and we see that in our work. Um, we just had on our third, uh, our third interview with a different, with our third accelerator that we've talked to, um, like you and I met at Plug and Play. So, uh, so another company like that, that's accelerating um, startups. And one of the things that we've learned is, is that the landscape is vast. There are so many startups that it's really a long shot um, understanding the market that they're selling into. It's a long shot that they're all going to make it. But but there's so much money that they're all getting funded. Now, I shouldn't say that they're all getting funded. Many of them are getting funded. I mean, how do you feel about that? About Is InsureTech a bubble right now? Does it have some of those characteristics in your view? It does. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that a few won't succeed, right? So I make this argument in the book. Oh, no, absolutely. I agree with that. So, so uh, this is the pushback I hear, right? Rob, you know, your book, The End of Insurance, that's just hype, right? This isn't happening. And I said, no, I didn't say it's the end of insurance. I said it's the end of insurance as we know it, right? doesn't mean we're not going to have insurance, but that it's going to work differently. That's really my, my core thesis. And alternatively, you can see all these startups, right, and say 90% are going to fail, and on the other hand, say it's still going to completely disrupt our industry because a few are going to succeed right now, how they succeed, whether they succeed through partnerships, whether they succeed going on their own or some combination, a kind of a coopetition type model remains to be seen. Right. And, and it'll probably end up being quite honestly all of the above. Right. Um, so, yes, the, the, there is a bubble. Yes. A lot of these are going to flame out. But um you know, you only need one Amazon, right? You only need to, yeah. to take overseas. You only need one Netflix, right? So um, to, to fundamentally disrupt an entire industry. And uh, one of the things that um, I talk about in my keynotes and it's in the book as well is um, really two points. One is our industry, as we talked about how big it is, it is ripe for disruption in the sense that um, the expense ratio has not changed in 10 years. It is mm -hmm. flat line. It's between 26 and 27 and a half. It's barely going anywhere. Right. So we know premiums have gone up quite a bit over the last 10 years. And that means <laughs> expenses have gone up exactly in parallel, right? Which when you ratio uh -huh. it creates a flat line. And if you think about the credit card industry, right? They're highly regulated. They have a bunch of fraud. You've got the bank that takes the cut and you've got Visa and MasterCard that take a cut, right? So and yet the whole thing only costs 3% transaction fee. So why are we almost 10 times that in insurance? Um, you know, when you spend a dollar of premium and, you know, almost 30 cents are going to expenses, that seems very inefficient, right? Relative mm -hmm. to a, a Tesla or something that, you know, you need like a billion dollar gigafactory to compete against the Fords and, and, and Kias of the world, right? So it's understood that you've got global supply chains and, and huge... Uh, capital, you know, investment in manufacturing plants, things like that. Not insurance. Insurance is perfect digital product. Yeah, it was invented 300 years ago, but it's all bits and right bytes, and and it's all kind of computer systems. And yeah, most of them are from the 70s. But um, you know, this should be an industry that's much more efficient than 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 that. Um, and then the other part is, if you look at the staying power, right? So I have a, a table of the top 10 
PNC carriers in the US. Right. The I saw that. Was formed in 1937. Right? Think about somebody that's that was born in 1937. Right. That's somebody that's probably in a probably not alive. Yeah, I mean, well, there's maybe some are, right? But I mean, a decent number of the companies were founded in the 1800s. And, you know, what's cool is if you go back and you look at the foundational story of each and every one of those companies that's in the top 10, you'll find a very cool founder story. So I love USA's founder story, right? It was founded by 25 Army officers at Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio, Texas. It's still an active Army base today. And they couldn't get auto insurance anywhere else. So they just started their own company. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of people thought that they were going to fail. But here they are, you know, almost 97 years later. Instead of insuring 25 members, they insure over 13 million, right? I mean, they're just wildly successful for $20 billion in premium. So I'm sure the odds were stacked against them. But they, they made it. And, oh, by the way, one of those early employees at USA decided he was going to leave and start his own company. And. We called it Government Employees Insurance Company or GEICO. And right. two weeks before USA was formed on June 20th and June 6th, there's a small company, a group of farmers that got together, and that's called State Farm, right? So, Yeah, how did know, that work out? Yeah, how did that work out, right? They're like the huge number one industry leader today. So, again, like, you know, if you look at that period of time, I'm sure you could point to a lot of insurance companies that totally flamed out, right? But a few have survived and, and thrived over the decades. It's, it's going to be the same in the insure tech world today. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So who are, who, I mean, one of the cool things about having, being, interviewing you is, is that you're not restricted from talking about companies. I mean, so many of the people we talk to, they can't mention names, they can't, they, their, their hands are tied, but who who do you like out there or what what segments do you like i mean you talk about some in your book but you know one of the interesting things about your book is i assume it's it was published in 2018 so it's probably nearly a year old and things have changed a lot in a year so what are some of the stuff some of the cool things out there that are exciting to you that you think are high likelihood of making it high probability of 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 succeeding yeah. So, uh, yeah, I wrote the book in 2018, actually published in uh, February of this year, uh, 2019. Oh, okay. It's still relatively new. It's been out for about Pretty fresh. Months. Pretty fresh. Um, and yes, there'll probably be a revised and updated edition at some point because this space is obviously moving very, very quickly. Um, so, you know, I, I think um, there are, uh, I, I actually had a really cool experience on the plane ride over uh, last night. So I am a jury member on the EFMA Accenture uh, Global Insurance Innovation Awards for 2019. And so uh, as part of the jury, I get to see um, basically uh, hundreds of companies submitted their innovative ideas, right? And then the the ethnic Accenture team kind of boiled it down to, to nine in each of seven categories. And then I have to vote on kind of what I think are the top three of, of, of the nine. And um, so again, these are innovations that are all over the globe. And um, it just blows my mind some of the stuff that I saw. So like in India, they talk about just a, almost like a, a room, I guess. They kind of build like a sensor where you walk in and it kind of assesses your health um, right there, kind of on the spot. It's something you can imagine like at a shopping mall or something like that. Um, so it gives you this kind of almost instant kind of health profile. And then it offers you health insurance on the spot based on that profile. I mean, how cool is that? Um you know, there was another company that they talked about disability insurance and they said, you know, a lot of people that are injured and have a disability in the past, you would just give them money to compensate them for the disability. And that's great. And that's really needed. But, you know, what they want isn't just money. They want to be able to get back to their their pre-injured state as much as possible. And so with a lot of the, you know, orthopedics and artificial limbs and all sorts of stuff that's out there that like the, with technology, you can get there in a way that you couldn't before. And so they kind of cover the difference between kind of the, you know, like you would still get the, the money that you might get for a disability, but then they also cover the cost of um, helping you get back as close as possible to um, your kind of pre-injured state. Um, people that can tell your skin cancer, you know, risk based on a photo, um, oh, geez, all sorts of stuff, you know, crop insurance, right. For people in Bangladesh. And I mean, there's just, it's just mind blowing. Some of this stuff, like, you know, somebody had, um, mobility insurance. So like, if you take a scooter and then you jump into an Uber and then you, whatever, get on a hoverboard or a bike or something, and it would cover you like that whole time it just just for that trip just any liability so if you you ran into somebody right you were covered uh for their injuries and stuff like that so it, it's just mind-blowing all the 
um, imagination that is going out there. And then some of the stuff I get excited about as an insurance nerd is some of the back office stuff, right? So robotic process automation, chatbots, um, just efficiencies. And, and uh, one of the categories is kind of on a workforce transition and, and just empowering people, um, just you know, taking out some of the admin tasks that none of us hate, right? These are the things that make insurance inefficient and makes it so costly. And we don't like doing them in the industry, right? So um, allowing people to do what they do best, whether that's allowing agents to spend less time on admin tasks and more time on, on prospects and clients, um, whether that's uh, somebody in a call center, uh, a claims adjuster, right? Um, it, you name it, right? There's all sorts of jobs that have all sorts of cumbersome processes today. And so there's a lot of technologies to really allow that person to spend a lot less time on the admin portion of their job and really more doing what they do best, whatever specialized skill that is. And I think those are opportunities that, that companies see them as an expense savings, as efficiency gain, but quite honestly, they're a, a much bigger improvement in customer experience as well. Like getting your claim resolved a lot faster than it did in the past. I mean, that's huge, right? Huge. Why, why do you call it, why do you call insurance the perfect digital product? It's the perfect digital product just because, um, you know, for the most part, right, this is all systems talking. It's all uh, collecting a bunch of information, running a bunch of predictive models, um, yes, there's some paperwork involved, but I can send that to you digitally, right? And so you can have your proof of insurance and your, you know, copy of your policy. I, I don't need to set up this huge factor. I'm not starting an airline here, right? I'm not starting, a, like I said, I'm not Tesla, right? I'm starting my own car company. And so I've got to build a gigafactory in the deserts of Nevada for a billion dollars. Um, so, um, you know, a lot of what holds us back certainly are some of the, the, the outmoded technology, uh, but a lot of it is outmoded ways of thinking. You know, I think a lot of people are revisiting their... Hey, we agree with questions. that. Yeah. And do we need all these rules and regulations, right? Mm -hmm. um, some of them are good and they're certainly there to protect consumers um, and they build trust. And that's an important point is that, you know, um, people have to have faith in insurance. They've got to have trust in the product because it isn't a tangible thing that you get. Um, you know, if I don't pay the water bill, and I can't turn on my water, like that's pretty clear, right? Cause and effect. If I don't pay the electric bill, I don't have heat, I don't have electricity, I don't have my internet, my cable, right? That's pretty clear. But when you pay your insurance bill, which is often, you know, similar, right? To your cell phone bill, your electric bill, your water bill in terms of the cost, right? It's not necessarily clear, like, what am I getting for this? I mean, unless you have a claim, of course, but um, otherwise, like I said, it's, it's kind of a, it's a cost that I have to spend that I'm, I'm not seeing a whole lot of tangible value for. Um, and so um, because it's not that tangible product, right, I think digitizing it and making it as efficient as possible, um, both from a from an acquisition standpoint, right, from a customer interface, as well as just servicing and transacting and doing business, it should be that easy. Rob, you talk um, a lot. I've seen you talk a lot about talent. Um, can you talk about that for a minute? Yeah, I think this is a really important point that a lot of people miss. Um, I mentioned the book Insuring Tomorrow, which is a great read, by the way. Um, so I highly recommend that in terms of really attracting people to um, the insurance uh, industry, particularly young professionals that, that may be skeptical of our industry. Um, oftentimes, once people get into it, they really enjoy aspects of it, to your point. I mean, it's not something you talk about at parties, right? But once you're into it... Um, you know, some people, it's not for them and they leave. And I understand that. But a lot of people really do kind of embrace um, all the, 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 the complexity, the challenges. Ultimately, you are helping people. And I think we don't focus on that as much as we, we should. Um, I think in the past insurance, you know, for a lot of liberal arts majors, right, econ majors and others, it's like, OK, you know, you need to find a job. Right. I've met so many art history and philosophy majors in insurance over the years. Um, so it's yeah. been a, a stable career. It's fairly recession-proof, yes. right? right. Um, you still need insurance, right. uh, even if it's a recession. So a lot of people have, have kind of gotten to the job, and it, it pays well, and there's usually good benefits. That go stable. With it. And so it's stable, yep. So so companies are really taking that for granted, right? And they really sell you on their health benefits or their 401k, and they kind of assume that people are going to be with them for 30 or 40 years. And it, certainly we can point to individuals that have been you know, with their, their companies for that long uh, Time more, more so, than I think, than other industries. But I just don't think that's a reasonable expectation for people entering the workforce now or that have been in for, for 10 or 15 years. 
Um, number one, people don't want to wait that long, right, to get promoted. And, and it's not just about a title and money, although that's important, mm-hmm. I won't lie, but it's also about experience and, and, and being constantly challenged, right? right? People want that. And, and so, so time and position is huge in the insurance industry, and it really shouldn't be, right? It should be more about capabilities and, and um, you know, kind of moving you on once, you're, once you've mastered a task and not just say, well, you've mastered it, but we got to, you know, keep four or five years until that seat, you know, it becomes vacant. Um, the second thing is that as people are retiring and we see, you know, people are retiring in droves, and this has been predicted for probably the last decade in the insurance industry, but it, it's happening now. It's fully upon us. Um, I see a lot of companies that are not promoting from within, but rather um, getting executive talent from other competitors, right? And it's never been easier to find a job um, outside your company because of the world of social media and LinkedIn. And obviously, you've got headhunters and and the, the grass is not only greener, but you get to see lots of green patches of grass, right, all over the place. So it's very easy to kind of see where you're at, see what else is out there and possibly switch. But as companies start competing in this war for talent, um, certainly their internal talent, right? If they see that you brought in somebody from the outside, there's a very good chance they may say, well, you know, maybe I'm not going to get that promotion. It's time to leave. And, and often those people are the ones that really make a difference between some uh, executing on your vision, right? Yeah. So you can bring in somebody that has all the greatest ideas in the world and they've got all this familiar technology, but you know, it's about knowing who to talk to. It's about knowing like the intricacies of different systems or processes, or it's, it's really, uh, as, as a friend of mine uh, said, it's not just about getting in the weeds, it's about getting in the dirt, you know, to really make these things successful. And oftentimes the people that know that level of detail are the people within your own organization. You can't bring in somebody from the outside um, and expect them to, to, to know that even after a year, yeah, right? Yeah. So, I think you need to love your people uh, that are inside and, and really value that tacit knowledge. It's not written down anywhere, right? It's not in the, I mean, they just gained it through experience and that experience is valuable and, and companies are just letting them walk out the door either as they retire or as they're leaving for a, another, uh, another firm. I, I uh, my, my grandfather used to say to me who, my grandfather was a great guy, successful businessman. He used to say to me that business is business. doesn't matter you know, what you do, business runs the same, but insurance I think is peculiar. Um, and, and it's a peculiar product like we've, like we've been discussing, um, and a peculiar industry uh, that, um, but if you can get passionate about it, I, I think it's, it's a, it's a wonderful place to be. It's a lot of fun. I have a lot of fun here. Yeah. And, you know, I see this with, with um, the claims community, right? Like the, the big difference I see between uh, a newer adjuster and experienced adjuster, um, yes, part of it is the technical, right? It's not easy. I mean, being on a roof and, and what's hail damage and what's not hail damage, like that takes some some time and some experience. And so there's definitely kind of an apprenticeship. We don't use that term anymore, but there's really an apprenticeship, right, from an experienced adjuster to a, a younger adjuster. But where I really see the difference isn't actually working with that policyholder, right? And kind of setting proper expectations, um, setting them up in a good conversation. Really, those soft skills are huge, right? Um, and so I can see that's an Oftentimes, when you're training an adjuster, it's really about kind of the black and white, right? About uh, what is damage, what is not damage. You know, the policy form. Every company, right, does things a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. The mechanics of interacting, mm-hmm. exactly whatever software platform you've got, right? And I don't think a lot is spent on that conversation with the policyholder, but that is just huge, right? Because that's going to um, result in a customer, even if if maybe not everything is covered, right? Um, but kind of explaining, walking them through, setting proper expectations that's going to make a big difference in the customer experience and also efficiencies, right? They don't have to constantly call, what's going on with my claim, right? What, what, where do things stand? Um and and ultimately, as we talked about, that that is the moment of truth. Mm-hmm. And um, a great claims experience is going to uh, create a customer for life, and a bad claims experience is going to create um, an immediate shopping mm-hmm. opportunity. So I, I just think that, um, and again, there's just no other way around it. Like, yeah, you can read books and you can take classes and, and go to training, and you know, there, there's obviously a big part of that, right? Um, but it, that, that's not enough. There's nothing to replace on the job training and on the job experience. And so once somebody's gained that experience, 
Um, I, I just think, you know, that, that is so valuable for a company. Employees get more valuable each year they spend with you and companies don't necessarily appreciate that. I, um, um, you know, we're, we're this, this project, our podcast has been a very interesting thing because at our, at our company, one of our strategic initiatives and imperatives is, is that we're, we're trying to be, um, thought forward and product forward and embrace, um, the direction that the, that the industry is heading in and to be, to lead it instead of to follow it. And, um, but you know, I, now that we're a couple years into this, I would say that, you know, one of the things we're leaning learning is, is that the more things change, the more they stay the same. Um, and, uh, because the fundamentals of insurance aren't necessarily changing. And, um, I mean, you, the name of your book, the end of insurance as we know it, uh, what, what brought that to your mind? Cause, cause like we don't, it's hard for us to discern, you know, where's it going to be in three years? Where's it going to be in five years? Very important to us strategically and from a business, business standpoint. But, uh, what are, what are your thoughts on that? Where is it going? Is it, is this the end of insurance as we know it? So I think we um, are at an early point in a kind of a big question. Sorry. So I would say yes. Right. That's why I, I, I wrote the book with that title. But, um, you know, I, one chart that I show it's in the book and I, I show this at every keynote as well is a, an exponential curve. Right. And so this is a curve that starts out really, really flat and then kind of gets, you know, increasingly steep. Um, over time. And so uh, our, our world, we live in a world of accelerating change. And so uh, we see it in other aspects of our lives. So um, I usually start, start the, the book with a story about a road trip with my dad. Um, my dad's 84 and uh, he has a baby sister uh, that was actually born the day he graduated from high school. So she's 18 years younger. She lives on a family farm that's been in our family over 60 years in upstate New York. So I uh, he wanted to see her for one last time and see the family farm and all that. He's in good enough health, but you know, he's, 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 uh, getting up there in age. So I said, I'll, I'll take you up there one last time Dad. I'll give you a road trip. He hates flying, right? Which wouldn't do well on a plane. And so when I went to go pick him up, like he had all these paper maps from AAA, right? And I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. We used to have that when I was a kid and did road trips and I had fun with those maps, but like, I didn't even know AAA was still around and they made these maps and, you know, we crossed the border from Missouri into Illinois, he puts away the Missouri map and pulls out the Illinois map, whatever. And so anyway, I just kind of was like, Oh, you know, that's a jail. Let dad play along in the front seat with his maps. Right. Well, um, after 11 days, we had a great visit, but after 11 days, we're driving back and I had to, 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 it was a Sunday and I had to get back to work the next day. I'd been away from my wife and my three kids. So I was really ready to, to, to get back. Dad's not a great roommate, by the way. He's the type that's, uh, ironically staying up till two in the morning watching YouTube. I thought that was just my teenagers, but that's my dad as well. So staying in a hotel with him was, uh, a little tiring. So, um, so we're back at that kind of Illinois, Missouri border. Right. And, um, I pull up the GPS and I'm like, okay, you know, I'm going to go through Memphis and Little Rock and Dallas and we're going to go that way. He goes, no, 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 we're not going to go through that way. That's a bunch of trucks and it's usually under construction. We're going to go through the Ozarks and Joplin and, and uh, Oklahoma City in that way. And I was like, no, dad, that, that, that way is four hours slower. Like I can tell you, I have real time data based on, right, um, all the cars that are out there. Uh, traffic congestion, like, and I have AI in the background, and it's all presented to me in this user, user interface we call GPS, right? And yeah, like it, it's real time streaming data. Like we don't have to debate this. This is you know, and he just wouldn't believe me. You know, he still was kind of based in a paper world, and so um, when we come to insurance, sometimes things like GPS that we take for granted, we don't even think about like how extraordinary that technology is, and the fact that it's using. Um, you know, big data and AI and all these terms we hear about in the insurance world, we, it's just GPS, right? We just use it. We rely on it. Like we don't really think about it, but yet we come to our insurance job and all of a sudden, like those terms just seem so big and, you know, out there. Right. And it's, it's not, it's not that far away. Um, it is coming. We are um, getting to that steepening part. And, you know, a lot of people in the industry, like myself, that has spent 20 years, you know, you look at 20 years and you say, okay, this is the change I've seen in 20 years. So that's going to be the pace of change over the next 20. And it's not, you know, somebody that's totally been in the industry two totally to three years, they, 
they may not have the length of experience that I do, but they're actually seeing a steeper part of the curve. And so they can actually anticipate where things are going hmm. much better. Interesting. Than I can, right? They're not, so they're not, they, 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 they don't have too much information. They don't. So I tell a story about, so I told you about my dad. Let me tell you about my nine-year-old daughter. So we got a bunch of Amazon uh, echoes for the house over Christmas. And so, you know, I'm very transaction with the echo, right? Alexa, mm -hmm. what's the temperature, mm -hmm. right? What, mm -hmm. you know, who won the basketball game last night? Like very fact, right? Just want a piece of information, boom, very quick hitter. Well, um, my daughter, she's just like, her room is above ours. And we're like, who is she talking to? She's like constantly talking all day, every day. And we're like, what is going on, right? Well, she's talking to, to, to Alexa and she's asking it to tell her a bedtime story and to play music. And um, I actually cut a little uh, YouTube video on, uh, just created a channel for the end of insurance as we know it. And um, I have a talk next week at the CAS spring meeting. And so uh, I just said kind of a preview. I, I put together this video. And one of the things she's asking Alexa is, tell me a prank, you know, and it said, hang, hang your clothes from, from the ceiling. So, um, she was with a friend, uh, this past weekend and she goes, daddy, we're going to hang up your clothes. I was like, Oh, okay. That sounds weird. And so then she excitedly gets me and I walk into the room and she's got all my clothes taped on the wall. She goes, look, we hung up your clothes for you. And I'm like, Alexa gave you this idea, <laughs> right? So it's a much more immersive technology than I imagine. Like when I see that speaker, I don't think of that. But my nine-year-old right. does. Right. They, they, um, it's kind of like, um, trying to learn for somebody our age, trying to learn a, a foreign language versus a two-year-old. Um, it, you know, there's just something that's much easier, more natural. Um, I mean, my, my children who are millennials, um, you know, they grew up with it. It's all second nature. I can't tell you how many times I've handed them my phone so that they can show me something cool or something or how to use something or whatnot. And um, you're, you're spot on, you're spot on. And so what I tell people is the technology is here. That's not the problem, right? The problem is the failure of imagination. And so that's really the big challenge. So to the extent that you have people within your company and, and don't get me wrong, like it is important to bring in talent from the outside as well that, that, um, isn't encumbered by this is the way we've always done things, right? So I think having a blend is really, really important. Um, but having those people from the outside that can say, I had success with this at this other company and I see a different way of doing things, merge with your internal people that um, also see that, you know, we can make improvements, right? And, and are flexible in their thinking um, and then know how to actually get it done. I think that's the critical part, right? Um, that is a, is a really happy blend. So really that diversity of thought. So um, diversity inclusion is something I talk about at the end of the book as well. And, um, you know, that's been a, a big buzzword and, and, you know, it's important for uh -huh. many different reasons. But one of the most critical is, you know, people with different backgrounds truly do think differently. And when you bring them together to, to um you know, on a particular problem, right. To help solve it. Um, they can really go a lot farther than people that all kind of have the same, same background. And so, um, it absolutely takes a, a blended approach, uh, and a blend of experiences. And so I think it's also important, right. To recognize diversity doesn't just mean race and, and, and gender and sexual orientation and things like that, that we typically hear about, but it also means bringing that actuary and that claims adjuster and that underwriter, you know, together right. and maybe that product manager, that service center, you know, call center person, what you like bringing people that have uh, different, uh, functional disciplines together on a cross multi, uh, multidisciplinary approaches to, uh, to, yep. to, 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 to these kinds of things. Let me ask you, um, one last question before we go. And that is about conferences. I would imagine what, as we were saying at the top, one of the benefits of, of what you've done is you're getting probably all kinds of exposure to all kinds of cool conferences and meetings and whatnot. Can you share some of those for our audience? Um, some of the things you've been to, I mean, you haven't even had a full cycle yet. You probably have more coming. Um, share some of the cool events or important events that, that you think are out there or that you've been to. Yeah, so um, Insured Tech Connect is probably the biggest uh, and the most well-known. Um, it's only been around for three years. They had over 7,000 wow. yeah. attendees, I think, last year. It's in Vegas in the fall. We have a preview so, episode uh, with them coming up, up. Uh, which is okay. uh, really cool about the this year's conference. 
so that one is unlike any other insurance conference I've been, ever been to. Um, it is a complete zoo and it is really um, a celebration. It, of it. Exactly. I found so, it to be uh, much the same. It's, it's, an, it's the un, in, so, un, unlike any other insurance. Let's just say it's unlike any other insurance conference. Yeah, that's right. Right. It's the Masters, right? The Masters. Unlike traditionally, unlike any other. It's an, right. Yeah. It's an insurance conference, unlike any other. So that one is definitely worth checking out. And, and honestly, like going to the sessions is almost like a side show. I mean, it's really there to, to meet people, right? Because people from all over the world go to that one. And so that one is is truly remarkable. I actually met my my current boss, Abel Travis, there for the first time. So I am the director of innovation at AF Group. I recently joined just over a month ago. And um, so Abel Travis has a podcast called the Insurance Innovators Unscripted Podcast. And so I had listened to them him and wanted to meet up with him and kind of tell him about the book. And um, yeah, we kind of connected there and in this opportunity uh, opened up and he reached out and I applied and was fortunate enough to, to get the role as the new director of innovation at AF Group. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that, that's the type of event that it's really about getting work done, right? Meeting people. And, and um, like I said, the events are almost just a, a secondary thing. Um, I'm actually going to be at another event that I think is notable um, called Dig In, right? So that's short for digital insurance. Right. It's in Austin. Uh, and so I'm moderating a panel on uh, the uh, perils, promise, and potential or something like that of uh, AI. Um, with a friend of mine, actually from USA, uh, as well as two uh, startup founders. And so we are in the coveted uh, Thursday 510 <laughs> time slot right before happy hour. Uh, but that's a great event as well. Um, and uh, it's at the end of May. So um, definitely something to, to kind of look at for and a nice bookend really with InsureTech Connect. Um, and so that one's grown tremendously. It basically doubles in size every year. Uh, and so that one is um, definitely worth uh, looking at. And digital insurance is a great resource just as a, as a magazine, as an enterprise to, to keep up with news that's in this space. Uh, there's a ton of others. Um, there's DIA that's in Europe that's really big. Um, there's some in Australia, some in China. I actually spoke at um, a global insurtech summit that was in Istanbul, Turkey, uh, last month and uh, was fortunate enough that I got selected as the the. Uh, most influential Ooh. speaker. Um, so impressive. Happy and, and uh, pride. Uh, yeah, a trophy now <laughs> in my uh, office wall. But at the same time, ironically, as this event was going on, they had an Istanbul FinTech Week that was over at a soccer stadium nearby that was like, and so I had uh, friends from all over the world and we were kind of going between the two events and, you know, because we were speaking at one or the other. And so it's just um, a plethora of different events that are, that are out there. So, um, I have um, all of my events are posted on the uh, website for the book, which is endofinsurance.com. So if you go to endofinsurance.com slash events, you'll see um, different book signings. And I try to do one a month mm -hmm. um, that you can kind of meet and interact with folks. And, you know, again, the book signing, we try to put a little program together for folks, but it's really just a, a great way to, to, to get together. And the, the, the networking is really my favorite portion of those events. Um, and it also has a list of all the conferences that I speak at, of which there are many. And I try to put a link to to each one of them out there. And, and I like them all, to be honest. So I was at one here in Fort Lauderdale last week called uh, ITA Live. It's put on by uh, ITA Pros, they, um, the Insurance Technology Association. And so this is a, a relatively new association. They've been around for five or so years that really focus on this intersection mm -hmm. of insurance and technology. And you know, we had 85 attendees, but but it was a it was a great, it was a really quality audience, That's high cool. knowledge. And so um, I, I mentioned one time at a conference, uh, you know, I really enjoy this intimate, you know, event we're at. And somebody who was remembering me at happy hour, oh, intimate, haha, you met small. And I, I really didn't, I didn't mean it as a backhand at all, because it was like, hey, there's enough people here and, and really committed. And you could actually have a deep conversation, whereas I, ITC, it's a zoo, right? It's like 7,000 people. I mean, you barely get five minutes with someone. So both are worth going for, but for very different reasons, right? So um, there's just ton out there. And um, yeah, I would say the best, best resources well, is insurance.com. Um, uh, the networking is is obviously great. I, I met you, um, you may not recall, because you obviously meet a lot of people. The um, I met you at the plug at plug and play, <laughs> plug and play. Um, in the bathroom. So you know these, <laughs> you have to be there. You have to be there for these things to happen. You do have. To 
You do. You, you, absolutely. And, and plug and play was funny because I gave the keynote at their uh, Beyond right. Insurance event in April and I was there just for deal flows. And I guess whoever they had as the keynote dropped out. And so I happened to give a copy of my book to our kind of account rep. And she was like, oh, you're the author that wrote the end of insurance.com. I was like, yes, that's me. And she's like, would you give our keynote tomorrow? <laughs> sure. So I whipped together some slides at night, sent them over and boom, there I am on the stage. So you can YouTube that one that's that's posted out there. Look at plug and play uh, insure tech and, and a copy of my uh or the, the video from my presentation is out there. So yeah, you're right. It's like, this is the life that it's we live cool. in 2019. It's pretty cool. I, I mean, I like to say that, you know, five, cool. seven years ago, the conference world in insurance was very stale and very basic and, you know, not very exciting. And now uh, you can fill your calendar with interesting Right. I mean, it's really remarkable what's happened. It is. It's amazing. The space is exploding. Um, insurance has suddenly become sexy. Who knew that was ever going to happen? <laughs> okay. Well, listen, we, we can't thank you enough um, for taking time in your hotel room in Fort Lauderdale where you're not there to retire. But, um, and uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, Really enjoyed your book, and I enjoyed your your talk that I attended at Plug and Play, and really enjoyed hearing um, your thoughts and ideas today. We we can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, so yeah, so folks that are interested in the book, they can go to please um, um, and there's a lots of links on there to buy it. It is exclusively on Amazon. It's in paperback uh, version or Kindle version. Uh, I will tell you that um, insurance is definitely a paper world because the Dead Trees version is outselling the digital Kindle version by about two to one. Isn't that, that um, does not does that surprise you? Does not surprise me in the least. Does not surprise me. But uh, people say, you know, I can't have you sign the Kindle version. I was like, oh, that's true. And I do see a lot of dog ears <laughs> and, and 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 little flag stickies and and highlighting and and I love that. I love it when people are just dog earing it and just eating it up and and uh, really you know diving into it. That's that's always great to see. So I do love still seeing. The, the paper copies out there um and yeah so happy to you know uh if anybody buys the the book and reads through it love to hear your feedback um so i'm connected on linkedin uh, twitter facebook instagram and i uh, the first one to tell you i do not have all the answers so this was literally a very personal project of me trying to figure all this out and i did a lot of research and, and homework and i've got the the, the hyperlinks out there to all the kind of research so you can kind of follow my thread. Some guy said that I took him down an AI rabbit hole with all the different hyperlinks sure. I had in the, the book and the footnotes and stuff. And so, um, yeah, I would love to, to hear from listeners uh, if they have an opportunity to read it and what their, their thoughts well, are. Well, we will um, post all that information um, on all of our social media as well so our listeners can find it there. Um, and... Uh, um, we'll look forward to hearing more from you as, as time goes on. Great. Thank you so much for having me on today. Well, that was a lot of information. Yeah, that was a lot. I mean, I understand why he sat down uh, to start writing on his computer and found 25 pages of notes pretty instantly. I mean, he's, he's full of a lot of knowledge and a lot of ideas and, and things that have happened and things that we're doing. It's very interesting. Right. Very interesting. And one of the ways that I, I think that both of us, I'll speak for both of us, can relate to him is there's so much here. Yeah. No matter your opinion of InsureTech, no matter your position in InsureTech, there's so much here. Yeah. I mean, it, it is a big world. One of our, that's right. One of our learnings is it's big, it's vast. It's multi-billions. Yeah. It's, it's thousands of companies. It's tons of people involved in it. it, it <laughs> there's, a lot, there's a lot going there on. There is, there is. And really, it's uh, all the past episodes that we've done just lead to that, how big, how many. And then it's the aspects of the insurance uh, technology sector that we don't even talk about, you know. And, right. Um, you know, we just recently have gotten really into innovators and what they're doing and how they operate. Uh, changing processes within even outside of startups and technologies. Um, so yeah, there's a there's a 
enough information to write a book on it. And I bet he could probably put enough information for another one. Totally. Um, uh, he covered so many interesting, uh, things. I liked what he was talking about, about talent. I, I'm really glad that, uh, we got to talk about the bubble because I, I think that's something that we should be talking about more is, um, you know, is there too much going on? Is that yeah, you know, a silly we, way of we, saying we it? We talk a lot about what all there is, and then sometimes we ought to think about, should there be that much? Should there be that many? What problem are we really trying to solve? Uh, so a lot of times we, we talk to our guests, and we're, we're interested in what they have to say, and we, we love learning from them. But, you know, sometimes it also is, so what is your actual problem? What are you actually trying to solve? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry we didn't touch we didn't touch on problem identification, but uh, offline afterwards with Rob we talked about um, innovators and being innovative in innovation departments, and that's a, that's another thing that um, I think is very relevant to the conversation today. Yeah, I very much agree with that. Okay, well, listen, we thank Rob Galbraith very much for being with us. I'm sure we'll have him on again. He's obviously. Uh, one of the important thought leaders in in our business today. And uh, we thank you for listening, as always. And we ask that the best way for you to support us is to please uh, subscribe to our podcast, which you can find on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And that's it for us today. And I'm going to let Lee take it home. Take it home, Lee. Bye, everybody. Bye.